Welcome to another edition of Rolling Valley Stories. This is the second episode that I produced, and in this episode, I interview Molly. Molly has a fantastic story and shares with us a beautiful message. I just know you're going to love her experiences. Unfortunately, I had an issue with my equipment when I was recording her. I believe I've fixed it going forward and don't expect to have this same problem in the future, but it is something I unfortunately can't fix now for this particular episode. So you'll hear a slight echo in our voices throughout the interview. I'm really sorry about that, and I apologize to you and to Molly. Please try to push through it, though, and focus on Molly's message because it's so good. Again, I just know you're going to love it. Thank you for your patience, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, welcome to this edition of Rolling Valley Stories. Uh, today, I'm super excited because we have Molly with us, uh, who's a member of our, our congregation, a member of our ward. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me over in your home to, to sit down and talk with you. Thanks for being willing to do this. I think it's really, really nice of you to do this for the ward. Yeah, well, I'm super excited about it, and uh, it's a, just a great opportunity for us to sit down and learn more about each other, uh, learn about each other's backgrounds, experiences. All of us have gone through so many things in our lives, um, good and bad. Yeah. And just learning from each other helps us all out. So I appreciate you sharing your experience and your stories with us today. Happy to do it. Everyone's different. so That's right. So let's start with uh, where were you born? Where were you raised? What was your home family life growing up for you? I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I am the second of four kids. I have an older brother and two younger sisters. And we lived in Oklahoma until uh, middle of my junior year in high school. At which time we moved to Connecticut. So you you grew up in Tulsa until your junior year, and then in the right before your senior year, you you moved. What was that like? Middle of my junior year. Middle of your junior year. Yeah. So I was super bummed. My dad had um, had a job working for the the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, and he had gotten a job. I don't know, like at some point late middle school, early high school, and he was um, tra- traveling down to Oklahoma City, which is where the job was. So it was like a two-hour commute, so he would go down and stay down there for like two days a week and then come up in the middle of the week. So it was pretty rough on my family for a couple of years. So he got a transfer to New York City. So my family was like, we're going to move to New York City, or, well, Connecticut. We weren't going to live in New York City, but um, this is really good for the family, and I was, like, super bummed because I had, like, all these grand plans of what I was going to do my senior year. I was going to be a drum major because I'd, like, put in the time in the marching band and, um, you know, like, rule the school, all those, like, things that you've, like, right. gone through the clubs to, like, then the senior year you're, like, in charge. And, you know, I had, like, all these grand fantasies. So I was, like, super bummed, and I was really this is bad, but I was really mean to my mother the fall of my junior year because I had this idea that if I was like mean enough, she would leave me behind (laughs) and then I could like stay with a friend and graduate high school in Oklahoma. And she was like, I know you're being mean because you want to stay behind and you're not staying behind. So just knock it off. (laughs) So I don't think I actually really knocked it off until we actually moved. And I found that it was like not, successful, although maybe I was a little less mean, but I was pretty mean to my mom that fall. So then we moved, and honestly, like, the move itself, once we got to Connecticut, it wasn't as bad for me as the, like, kicking against the pricks of going. 
you know, it was the middle of my junior year. So by the time kids are juniors, they're a little bit more tolerant of difference. And so um, I actually got in some different activities. Um, band wasn't really a thing at my new high school. So I joined the choir and I got to like travel around with the choir my senior year they did a trip to like Spain and Portugal so I got some and I then I was able to do track because in my high school in Oklahoma it was very much you were in a track you were like in the band track or the like you know basketball track or whatever but there really wasn't a lot of exploration of different things but in my high school in Connecticut for whatever reason, they just really needed bodies. So whatever you would like show up for, <laughs> yeah. you could do, yeah. you know, as long as you were like there. So I wasn't like very good at track, but I was able to like try that out. Um, and I did like a couple of other things in Connecticut that I wouldn't have done in Oklahoma because I was very much focused on this like band track. So it actually wound up being like a really good thing to move because, you know, I got to do um, choir, and then because we moved to Connecticut, I went to college in Connecticut, because if we'd stayed in Oklahoma, I would have just gone to, like, Oklahoma University, so I think that was a lot better for me, um, going to school in Connecticut, um, and so I think, like, it was definitely, like, a better thing than it sort of sounds like I moved to the middle of junior year. Um, but I, and also, like, I totally played that up on my college essays about how, like, awful it was. <laughs> yeah. That it wasn't really that bad, but that was just, like, I played on that, <clears throat> which I think helped me in my, like, college applications. But, but I was, I will have to say that I was really mean to my mom to try to, like, fight against that. And to her credit, she, like, was like, you're coming, we're a family, we do stuff as a family. So it sounds like that transition uh, wasn't wasn't that big of a issue or a, or a challenge for you. No, it was actually a lot harder for my younger sisters because one of my sisters was, like, in sixth grade, and the kids were just really mean to her, and the other one was in middle school, and they were just, like, really, really not nice to, like, someone moving in in the middle of the year. But by, by the time I was in high school, like, people were just sort of like... Okay, and I don't, like, I don't remember, like, being alone at lunch. I think I sort of figured out something that I did at lunch, so I wasn't really in the cafeteria. Maybe I went to the choir room and had lunch there or something, but, like, all those sorts of things that when you're in a new school and you're trying to figure it out. Um, oh, and when we moved, another blessing was that I was able to do early morning seminary. Um, because that wasn't an option in Oklahoma. So so I got a lot more uh, church education from the last year and a half than I had for the previous two and a half years doing home study. Was your family growing up, was your family pretty active in the church? Or, or did were, are you converts? Or, or tell, tell me about your, yeah, your conversion. Yeah, um, I'm really blessed. So um, my mom is a convert. She joined the church when she met my dad. My dad is, I think, like technically a convert because he was baptized when he was nine. Part of that was his parents. His parents were converts um, when they were like young adults. And then there's a sort of a funny story in my family that when my dad was a baby, my grandma was sitting in sacrament meeting, and the person at the pulpit said, "Can the lady with the crying baby take him out?" And she took him out and never went back. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So so that's kind of like a story in my family of, like, we're all trying to do our best, and people might do things that are offensive, and we have to, like, make our own choices about it. And, like, 
you know, that was fine for her to be mad and upset, but that she chose to not come back kind of had an impact. So that was part of the reason why my dad wound up getting baptized when he was nine because they were sort of doing a reactivation of the family. But, you know, like that's sort of been kind of one of the stories that I had growing up from my parents was like, well, people are going to say things and do things that might hurt your feelings. And how you choose to handle that is like up to you. So um, anyway, so my uh, dad was kind of active, but then my mom, when she met my dad, um, investigated the church, and that's really when he became very active. And so that was about the time they got married, um, and then they had my brother, and then moved to Oklahoma, and had me and my two sisters. So the the whole time I was growing up, my parents were really active in the church, and... um, I really, I really did learn a lot from early morning seminary. I think that there's a, it's really true that like sacrifice brings forth more blessings and that like sacrifice of getting up early and going, I think is a really, it was a very big blessing for me and a really like improved both my testimony and my kind of knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. When you finished high school, uh-huh. you did, I know you went on a mission and yeah. I want to talk about that, but, but. You, did you go to school first for a couple of years first and then go on your mission, or how did that timing work out? Yeah, so um, I guess this is something that's kind of different and weird about me. Because I grew up, I was going to a small elementary school in Oklahoma. When I was in first grade, I already knew how to read, and I um, the teachers would, like, give me more, like, worksheets and stuff. Yeah. And so by the end, like, sort of halfway through the year, I'd finished all the first grade worksheets and so they started giving me the second grade worksheets and then about three quarters of the way through the year my parents were like well why doesn't she just like finish second grade and then go into third grade next year Uh, and the principal called me into her office to talk to me about what did I think about this plan and I just remember I was so freaked out (laughs) of like being in the principal's office so that was like all that I could in my like first grade mind was like I couldn't you know say anything about yes I want to or no I don't want to go into second grade, Uh, but I had to do a bunch of workbooks at home, I remember that, and then um, about the last, like, month of of my first grade year, I was in second grade, and then I went into third grade the next year, so I was younger when I graduated high school, I was 16, Wow. so then by the time I graduated college, I was just 20, so I went on my mission. So you went to your you went four years of college before you went on your mission, right? Because I was just old enough to do that. So you so you skipped. Uh, I didn't skip any grades. I did skip. first and second grade in one year. You just okay. You doubled. Right. You, you did two in one year. Yes, because my I did have my siblings actually did legitimately skip grades, but I'm always like I did not skip any grades because <laughs> I had to do all that work. <laughs> See, in my family, we always talk about how many grade, how many times we did the same grade. You did two in the same, you did two in one year, so that's great. Uh, yeah, my dad always talks about that. That was because it was like Oklahoma, and it was a really small elementary school. You know, like out here, like that wouldn't really be possible. They have more like enrichment stuff that they would do. But I think it, you know, that like was actually it was good for me because I was always like trying to work a little bit harder. Yeah. So when you graduated high school, you you knew right away that you wanted to go to college, right? Yes. And where did you go to college? 
I went to Yale. You went to Yale. That's awesome. And so how did you know what you were going to study? And, and tell me a little bit about uh, you, how, how you decided what you were going to study. Well, when I was a kid, I always wanted to like be a mom when I grew up. And so people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a mom. And around the time I was about 10, it became socially unacceptable to say that. When I was like, I would say, I want to be a mom, people would be like, uh, but what else? You know? Yeah. So I sort of like got the sense like that wasn't like the right answer. Yeah. At the time, my mom was working, um, doing psych testing for a psychologist. And so I had this idea in my brain at 10 that if it wasn't okay to say that I wanted to be a mom like my mom, maybe it would be okay to say I wanted to be my mom's boss who was a psychologist. So then I started saying that I wanted to be a psychologist when I grew up. And I never, I didn't get any more of those like weird, like, but what else do you want to do? Like, so then that, so then I started saying that. So that was, um, as if being a mom was not enough, right? Uh, right. Like, so that's what it kind of like, I got at 10 was like, I couldn't say that, but that was still like really what I wanted to be. Um, and I'm really happy that I am a mom. Um, but that's how I decided that I wanted to be a psychologist because that was my mom's boss at the time when people were asking me that. And then when I like went to college, I had another like concern that perhaps if I was studying psychology, people wouldn't think that I was like smart enough to do other things because psychology in college can be a little bit fluffy because it's very like mile wide and steep, you know. Okay. Um, so then I decided to study, um, to do like the pre-med stuff and try and decide if I was going to go to medical school or graduate school after my undergrad. And then I was sort of like keeping those two, my feet in those two, um, camps. Yes. Until after my mission. Um, and I did have a period of time when I was like, I'm going to be like this really spiritual missionary and that will be the time when I'll really know what God wants me to do. If he wants me to be a psychologist or a pediatrician. So like one preparation day on my mission, I like went and I thought about it and I went to the bedroom and my companion was reading in the living room and I was praying about this and I got the really strong answer that I wasn't supposed to be thinking about this while I was a missionary, <laughs> yeah. which was a really unfortunate answer, but that was the one I got. Anyway, and then uh, in the end, I decided to um, go to grad school in psychology because I didn't want to incur the like debt that I would do as a if I went to medical school. Because graduate school in psychology is it's a PhD, so generally you are subsidized through like research assistant fellowships and things like that. So if yeah. you're frugal, then you don't have to incur any debt for that. Um, so that was kind of in the end when I was home from my mission and trying to decide, did I want to do med school or grad school? I picked grad school and I really do love being a psychologist. So I think it was like more than just what my mom's boss was doing. I think it really is kind of more how I see the world, but that was sort of how I got there. I think it's kind of funny. So tell me what a clinical psychologist does. So a clinical psychologist is different than a psychiatrist who is a medical doctor and has prescription privileges. And a clinical psychologist is different than a social worker or a mental health counselor in that a clinical psychologist has a, a PhD, a doctor of philosophy um, or psychology. And so as a doc, in the doctoral 
training. It's a lot of learning about research. And so a lot of what clinical psychology does that's different than um, psychiatry or mental health counselor is assessment and planning. So that sort of research piece is sort of the thing that um, kind of makes clinical psychology different than some of the others who also do the kind of counseling and um, behavior um, management things that a clinical psychologist does as well. But um, sort of what clinical psychology does that's kind of unique to it is the kind of assessment of how does this inter- is this intervention working, kind of treatment outcome, um, what kinds of things are, are better um, or not as good, kind of a lot of times in psychiatry, the psychiatrists don't have time for that because they're just doing like the medication management and sometimes research around medication, but less about the therapeutic interventions that are non-medicine based. And to become a psychologist, you need to have um, to have a PhD, but also a clinical internship before you finish your PhD. And then you need to have postdoctoral work after your PhD, and then you take a test for licensure. How many, how many total, total years of school was that? So that was because I was a little slow in the PhD, partially because I took time off for a mission, but it was like eight years after I graduated college, which is why the Simpsons say that a PhD is a poor <laughs> life decision. Um, but I do, I do like what I do. So. Yeah. What made you decide to go on your mission in the middle of that? Oh, that's a good question. And kind of a funny story. So when I grew up in Oklahoma, the missionaries that we had in our branch were generally couple missionaries. And so that was kind of the model I had that the um, sort of like the grandma, grandpa couple would come over and um, play games with us. And I think they were also doing probably leadership stuff in the branch and kind of trying to support the, the church in Oklahoma. But so I always sort of had this idea that I would serve a mission when I was old with my spouse because that was sort of the model I had. Then when we moved to Connecticut, we had like elders, you know, and my brother went to serve a mission and that was kind of weird for me. And I was like, I don't know about doing this like as a, you know, like not as a, a retired person with my spouse. But one of the elders would ask me one time, like, had I thought about going on a mission? I was like, oh, I don't think that's for me. And he was like, have you ever prayed about it? And I was like, no. He's like, well, I think you should. So I was like, okay. So then I prayed about it and I had this feeling that I should serve a mission. And this was still, you know, like before I went to college. So, you know, I was like maybe probably 16, 15, 16, or like around that time that, um, that I was like, I should serve a mission. And so I had that kind of that in my head and um, I went off to college and, and I had a boyfriend for a while, um, and that, and so I was like, well, maybe that wasn't right, but then that didn't work out, and um, my senior year, I was just really feeling like I had a choice where I could apply to go to grad school right away, or I could take time to serve a mission and go to grad school after that, um, and my primary advisor was really against me serving a mission. He was like, that's just a waste of your time, and you know, he really didn't get the value of that. And he's a really smart guy and really kind of prominent in the in the field of psychology. And I, I liked working with him, but I was like, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. And 
it might not be the best uh, for me for like my like next step in graduate school, but I think this is really something that I should do right now. So I went ahead and did it. And then I came back, um, and I guess I could have applied to grad school while I was on my mission, but that just seemed, like, too complicated. Um, and so I came back and I worked for a year while I applied to grad school. So many of us face the challenge of uh, going on a mission. I know I did. Going on, a, going on a mission and taking one and a half or two years out of your professional career to go do this as a missionary. Uh, and then come back. You, you were able to finish four four years, but but you had a, a pathway forward for, for to get to get your doctorate because you knew what you wanted to do, right. and yet you still decided to go on a mission and take that break, even though people were telling you your advisor was telling you uh, that uh, that it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, uh, looking back on it, didn't want me to serve a mission either. She was like, "You're a girl. You don't have to serve a mission, and uh, you know you don't you don't need to do this and." I think she was just really scared for me to go on a mission, and I, um, I understand it a little bit more now that my kids are like getting older, like not quite at mission age, but just sort of approaching that. That I understand more kind of what her her anxiety for me was. But I was like, Mom, you're a member of the church, and you, and I feel like I need to do this, and I just need you to support me on this. And she, she, to her credit, like did like stop kind of like trying to talk me out of it. But, um, but it was a little bit harder, my, my advisor, but he like supported me when I came back. Um, and he, he, I gave me really good letters of recommendation for grad school. It's possible that if I hadn't served a mission, I might've like gone to a different graduate school, but then I might not have met Garrett. So, right. you know, it all worked out. So looking back on that, what, what impact did that mission that year and a half on a mission uh, play in in either your family life or, or your testimony? or Well, I think that the big thing that, that I got from my mission was a lot more confidence that I can do hard things and that even if it's hard, it doesn't last forever. And so I had some, like, hard experiences on my mission with companions and, you know, things that were kind of tough um, and that, that like... Before that, you know, I'd been to college. I hadn't, like, had any, like, really, you know, hard, like, emotionally hard things sort of um, where I questioned myself. Um, and so I think I think that experience gave me a lot more confidence in myself. It made me more mature when I went to grad school to be able to handle um, – the kinds of things that you do when you're doing um, training as a therapist, um, I think I was a lot more ready for that than I would have been if I had gone straight from undergrad because I think I still would have gone through some of those emotionally challenging things, but I would have been a grad student instead of a missionary. And so I don't know, A, I I would have turned to the Lord in the same way that I did as a missionary. Um, So I don't know if I would have had that, like, uh, kind of same practice that I had that I got as a missionary and then um, and I also don't know that I would have been able to have been as as successful when you know I had a, a hard therapy case as a, as a student um, in sort of managing that with my own emotions because I'd already sort of like worked through some of my own stuff as a missionary yeah, or learned how to like use 
the atonement and uh, the gospel to like work through some of those hard, challenging things. So I think that was like the one, the like the the biggest thing that came out of out of my mission. And I think that has then helped me like as a mom. You know, when stuff happens with your kids and you're kind of worried about them and um, kind of feeling um, concern or challenges of like that, you know, being able to um, know how to turn to the Lord. I really learned that in my mission. Well, it sounds to me like all the way back when you were 16, turning towards the Lord to to pray if you wanted to go on a mission, right? Yeah. Uh, All the way up through your mission and and beyond of what what you wanted to study. Is that something that you've always done? Is that something your parents have taught you? This this reliance on the Lord is something we're taught at, at church to right. do. Uh, I've, I've heard you now say multiple times throughout your life there's been experiences where you've re- relied on that. Is that something that you... Well, I do think that I, as a kid, I learned my parents really um, were very strong about um, you need to know for yourself. You know, you can learn things, and it's, you know, great to, like, go to church, and we really, really value that, but also you need to, you know, ask for yourself. So I think that I got, I had that from a very early age of, like, knowing for myself, and I do think that I have received, like, it's a spiritual gift of mine of um, to be able to kind of not be overwhelmed by things that I don't understand or to be able to sort of like hold doubt or like uncertainty without getting kind of caught up in that or like sort of sidetracked. So I do think that that has been a kind of a spiritual um, gift that I, I have been given, which I think has helped me. Like I remember... I was probably, probably like 14, 15, because I think it was before we moved, um, and I was like trying to figure out for myself what did I know, was, what did I believe, because, you know, I tried to kind of emphasize, like, you need to kind of know for yourself as well as, you know, listening to the prophet and everything like that, you really kind of need to have your own testimony and you can know this for yourself. So I, I, I really, I remember that I like was really uncomfortable with the story of the first vision. And I, I just like, that was kind of weird to me and I didn't really know, but I was just like, okay, I'm just going to sort of like put that aside and not talk about it. And then maybe I will like understand that at some point. But I also remember at the same time that I had a really strong feeling reading 3511 about Jesus the Christ visiting in the Americas after he was resurrected that that was true that I had a really strong um, testimony that that had happened that Christ loved the people in the Americas the same way he loved the people in Jerusalem and that he came and visited them and he like took the time for them all to like touch his hands and if, and if that was true then that meant the Book of Mormon was true and that meant that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and that was enough for me, and I was okay with that. And it really wasn't until my mission, when I was, like, giving the first vision, you know, that, like, couple of paragraphs from The Pearl of Great Price. Yeah. Um, and I would always do it in Spanish, but every time I would do it, the um, the spirit would come so strongly that I, like, sort of then got a testimony that, yes, the first vision was also true, that... And then, and now, kind of thinking back on it, it was like, you know, if Christ could visit the Americas, why couldn't he visit Joseph Smith? 
now it's sort of um, it's kind of silly to me, but at the time I remember when I was in high school, I was like, I don't really know how I feel about this, but I'm just going to like stick with what I know. And I think that's kind of been a spiritual gift that I've had throughout my life that whenever I've had something that I don't really understand, like why is the prophet saying this? Or, you know, why, why is this happening? Or, you know, like what, why is this, you know, whatever that I've always been kind of able to be like, well, these are the things I do know. And at that, at some point I might understand that, you know, and get to know the rest of the story about that piece, but I don't need to know it. So I think that's kind of been a spiritual gift that I've had. It's really neat how you, you can look back at your life and see those moments in your life where you've had that and you recognize that you have that spiritual gift. Uh, a lot of times, uh, when people pray, they, they, it's hard to recognize those answers. Uh, and, and, and as missionaries, we would teach them, right? How to recognize those answers. It sounds like for you, even even all the way back to fourteen fifteen, you were able to recognize that as a as a gift. Well, I don't know if I recognize it then as a gift. I think I've sort of recognized that later. More, I think, probably that I've recognized it as a gift that I have in like the last kind of ten, fifteen years or so, like post college, post grad school, when like some of my other friends, you know, um, who were really strong back then, have um, some of them have like not kind of maintained their faith and then so as I sort of thought about I understand kind of where they're coming from and what their concerns are and they haven't kind of touched me in the same way and as I've sort of reflected on that I think that's how I've sort of come to recognize that I think it's been a spiritual gift that I've been given. That's incredible. So Molly I understand that you're in the reserves. Yes. Tell me about how you decided to join the reserves. So um, you know I'm a psychologist um, and actually, uh, growing up, my dad um, was also in the reserves, and my brother is in the Army Reserve. My dad was an Air Force attorney uh, in the reserves. And so I kind of had this model of service that got, is something that guys do, um, you know, because my father and my brother were both in it. And I never sort of thought of it for myself. And then I married Garrett, and he got a job um, here in D.C., and he it was around the time that there was a bunch of movies and um, stuff coming out about um, sexual assault and um, mental health uh, concerns that um, the military was having. And Garrett's like, I really feel like this is something um, that you could help with because when we had moved to D.C., I had pretty much stopped working and I was home with the kids. And we'd been in D.C. for a few years, so I had a few kids, and, you know, he was like, I feel like this is something you could kind of keep your hand in their field, and you could give some service, because he was he was in a lot of meetings and uh, learning a lot about these mental health needs, and so I was like, we prayed about it, and I was like, okay, you know, I could go and, you know, do evaluations and things like that on my drill weekend. And so um, I went and I, I applied and it took like a year to get through the process. Uh, but then I was accepted and so I joined the reserves. And, uh, and then eventually I had the opportunity to um, do some active duty um, support where I was actually doing for things as a psychologist and I deployed and found that I was um, that was a really valuable experience of really being able to help service members which was kind of the reason why I joined 
and I really felt like there were some lives that I had saved in my deployment. But that was really hard to be away from my family um, for them. So. Yeah, the deployments are always hard. Yeah. How was the deployment for you? I mean, so it was hard. Like, my daughter was three, and she would call me on the phone every night and cry and say that she wanted me to come home, and that was really hard. Um, yeah, that was really hard. So I think, like, what was hard about the deployment was being away from my family because I had become a psychologist so that I didn't have to work if I didn't want to. And then I was sort of doing this thing that I felt like God had said was okay for me to do, but it was kind of like counter to that if I was away from my family. Um, but I did feel like what I was doing there was was really valuable, that I was really helping people who needed the safe space that I could provide in a, in a hard um, environment. How did you end up reconciling that between your desire to serve others and help them mentally uh-huh. and, and your desire to also stay home and, and be with your family? Um, well, you know, like Garrett is really great and he was really supportive. He was supportive from the beginning. I wouldn't have joined if he hadn't kind of encouraged me to do that. And he was really like, you know, it's hard here, but we're okay. And so, you know, that was really kind of the thing that made it like, even though it was hard and I would worry about him, um, he was really supportive and my kids were really supportive too. And eventually like Bitsy stopped like crying on the phone and was kind of more um, kind of adjusted to it Um, and so but you know like I think I would just sort of kind of leave it that's kind of how I dealt with it I just didn't really like lean into um, kind of how hard it is but I just sort of like was like this is how it is and so I was kind of more trying to problem solve well, you endured. Yeah, and do what I could do to support my family while I was there and try and make sure that I, like, it wasn't a waste of time, you know, so that I, I tried to make sure that what I was doing there was, was valuable. And do you feel it was? Yeah, I do. I feel like I saved a couple of lives of some people who would not have maintained their life if I hadn't provided a space for them to stop and think about what they were doing and then there were some other lives that I saved just because I got them out of the environment because it wasn't the right place for them but the ones that I really felt that I was really the most helpful for were the ones who were like able to stay there and do their mission and you know reframe for themselves the things that they the challenges that they've been having well I'm sure those the family members of those that you saved are very grateful and and just know that we're very grateful for your service and for everything that you've done and sounds like you've had an incredible reserve career and we really appreciate it especially as we approach veterans day thanks for what you did oh thanks you too um we have a few minutes left i'd like to talk a little bit about one of the questions that i'm asking everybody which is uh and you have a big grin on your face which is awesome uh 100 years from now oh 100 years from now if you were to, if you had the opportunity, and, and they might be, they, they might listen to this someday. If you had an opportunity to talk to your posterity a hundred years from now, what, what what would you want to tell them? I think that it's important to just keep going. I think endure to the end is like some of the like hardest concept of the gospel, but it doesn't always have to be enduring. Uh, but sometimes it might be. 
But like when things are hard, it doesn't last forever. And if you can just keep going, it will get better. I think that resonates with a lot of us, right? Because, you know, we, we all face challenging times, right? Um, and just enduring and keeping going, I think that's that's important. So it's great advice. Hopefully. It's great advice. <laughs> well, Molly, it's been awesome talking with you. I really appreciate you sitting down with me tonight. Well, thanks uh, for having me. And uh, it's been great. We, you're a fantastic member of Ward. Thank you for serving and doing everything you do. I know you're the primary president. And so we, we appreciate all you're doing for our children. And, and thank you so much for sitting down with us. It's, it's been great. Thanks. All right. We'll see everybody next time on Rolling Valley Stories. 